Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. everybody welcome back to the sounds of the world podcast um that was a little snippet from the song called legion by our next guest i have a privilege of knowing for over 20 years now uh he's originally from idaho as one of the best musicians i knew in the mountain west area uh he went on to study uh music at the berkeley college of music in boston and then moved back west He's an amazing arranger that masterfully manipulates and crafts some of the freshest versions of current hits and classic tunes. His voice is sincere, fragile, and astonishing. Not only is he a gifted arranger, but he composes many of his own songs. Sometimes his daughter will help, which adds just a level of uh, cute and authenticity. That's just awesome. Uh, He also creates some of the best sounding instruments from everyday items, such as gas cans. Uh, so today we want to showcase him, his talents, uh, his songs, his album Canyon Lands, and how he helped with quarantine, and of course his latest sweet endeavor that doesn't involve music at all. So please welcome Logan Kendall. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, thank you so much. <laughs> Logan, again, it's so great to see you. Uh, like I said, it's been it's been too long. Um, and you know, the evolution of hair between all three of us is is great. <laughs> Logan's got this great long beard and long hair. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. And so let's just kind of get right back in, like right down into it. So um, like, we'll, give us like a background of your musical background. You come from a musical family kind of thing? Um, sort of not really. My okay. grandma was a great violinist um, and my house wasn't my I wouldn't say my parents were super musical, but my house was definitely a musical house. We we, uh, we occasionally did things like uh, family sing, singing at a talent show. Um, my parents listened to a lot of music. And so that's mainly where it came from. My dad had a guitar in the house that he rarely played. And he had played bass guitar when he was in high school. So he taught me how to play the bass line to 20th Century Fox by the Doors <laughs> when I was, I think, six years old. And that like the whole first few years I played, I just played a, acoustic like a bass, you know, just one note, one string at a time. And there you go. That was how it started for me. <laughs> I love it. I uh, my my big start in music actually was uh, I was in a kid singing group in the 90s. And um, yes. <laughs> and they had me do an Elvis impersonation, 
I think I was seven or eight years old when I did this Elvis impersonation. And uh, oh, wow. it, it stuck. It kind of became a thing. My, my first album, which hopefully nobody ever hears because it's awful, but it was called Not, <laughs> Not Elvis because I kind of almost like if there was a theater production and they wanted an Elvis character, they called me. They, I got called multiple times to play the Pharaoh in um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's version of of Joseph, you know, there's like the, the Pharaoh who's an Elvis impersonator. So that, that was how I really got started singing was doing Elvis impersonations with this kid's singing group. Oh my gosh. That's so much fun. I love that you had to like rebrand out of that. Like, Hey, I do more than Elvis. <laughs> I, <promise. laughs> I was probably a little bit snooty about it. Like I should have just been grateful that, that people liked it, but Oh, there's that point that happens where you know you're like, all right, I'm going to define who I am. I've been called <laughs> this my whole life. I want to be called this. <laughs> I remember there was a time, I think it was a talent show at school. And like I played piano and I, you know, I got some applause. People liked it. And then you got up there and you started playing guitar and everyone was just like, oh, Logan, oh my God, like freaking out. And I was like, son of a no <laughs> was was that in ninth grade yeah i think so yeah yeah that i think that was one of the last times i did the elvis impersonation by choice actually <laughs> was that and that was a weird time for me because like i had never felt like somebody that people even knew really and then like yeah people reacted to the elvis impersonation it was it was fun <laughs> yeah that was cool but then but then you you gotta remember then tara towsley yeah got up there and like played her own music and she she was the the singer songwriter of our class for sure oh yeah there was <laughs> there was quite a bit of talent in that grade it was <laughs> it's amazing oh hmm. uh, good old pocatello yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into arranging and so in high school i was in a punk band and um one of our members was moving and so uh, another of the members of the band was like, hey, we should we should record an album. And we basically like microphone in the middle of the room recorded a really, yeah. really low quality album. But then um, the drummer in the band was like, hey, you you should edit this on Cool Edit. And he like showed me Cool Edit Pro, which yeah. was like the first multi-track recording thing I'd ever experienced. And that was like the rabbit hole from there. It was like... <laughs> I can lay down multiple tracks. I don't even have to have like a tape. I can do it all on my computer. And I kind of like confiscated the family computer and put it in my room. And, and, <laughs> you guys weren't using this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I started out just trying to come up with arrangements for my own stuff. I, I um, borrowed a drum set from a friend and borrowed the bass guitar from the choir department in the high school. Oh, wow. Recorded that first album, not Elvis. And, like I taught myself how to play the drums for, for that album. And yeah, that was how it started. And from there, like pretty much from that point, that was my favorite part and has remained my favorite part. Just like arranging, laying down multiple tracks and yeah. Yeah. It was kind of early, uh, almost like early garage band in a way. Yeah. 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 I remember the first time I got the, like a, a finale, like beginning of finale. And it was still like a blue screen with green dots for the notes. And then <laughs> the only printer we had 
was the one that had like the little ribbons with the holes on the sides. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes. A dot <laughs> matrix. Yeah. <Like>, yes. <laughs> you get it in there. You got to wind it a little bit. And then it's like. Yep. That was it. Okay. And speaking of finale. So part of the, the struggle of being self-taught and being from somewhere like Pocatello where I mean, like, like I was never in the band. Yeah. And and never around a lot of other real musicians. So I didn't know, I mean, even still today, there's a lot of areas where it's, there's like big gaps in my knowledge, but like for an embarrassingly long amount of time, I didn't understand what software you were supposed to use to arrange in and to create, um, why can't I think of the word for sequencing, for like MIDI sequencing and for, Mm-hmm. sequencing plugins and whatnot so i used finale which is, is not meant to be used as a sequencer like, at all but i used finale, finale for a long time as a sequencer and and like i didn't know how to use it so it was like trial and error moving the notes and hoping that i was landing somewhere i didn't know how to read music at the time so it was really oh, wow. really really difficult and then i figured out oh wait fruity loops fruity loops oh. works, works this way you don't have to use finale if you're doing orchestra stuff. Like you can, you can still do that in Fruity Loops. It's not just for beats. So <laughs> yeah, there was, okay. there was some big mistakes made in my early composition. <laughs> hey, but that's how you learn and you get good. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's how you learn. Other times it's just how you t- take a lot of extra time. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think you were mostly in choir, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was in band in junior high for like one semester. I played saxophone. Mm-hmm. I think I was last chair. <laughs> Eternally. <laughs> I'd go home and pretend I could play uh, Kenny G. Right. Yes. And then, then my parents threatened to put me in an orphanage. And <laughs> oh, my grandma loved Kenny G. Loves like currently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, when I was bet. a kid, she like that would we like drive in. She's from Texas, so she'd be like, "I just gotta put on some relaxing music." Like, Don't work any cheap. <laughs> on would come the saxophone. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that would be. I, even now, I'm like, how did I listen to this ever? Like, I know it was one semester, but it was like that. That was what I knew was saxophone music. And I had a saxophone, so I had no other choice. I don't think I even enjoyed it at the time, but it was no. like, <laughs> you have to know your instrument. I didn't even know who that was. And then later I found out, I was like, he's the saxophone guy that like tortured me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then from Pocatello, you went to Boston? No. Oh, okay. So from Pocatello, I went all over the place. Um, well, not really all over the place. From Pocatello, I went back and forth from Pocatello to Provo, Utah, mm. repeatedly. You know, I'd moved down there. I went to UBU for a little while, and then I went back to Pocatello, um, just back and forth, kind of, kind of lost, I guess. Yeah. Uh, never fully committing to being in music. Mm. Just mm. so. Um, yeah, I actually didn't end up going to Boston until 2012. Okay. Just after just after I got married. Nice. So then I moved to Boston and did Berkeley. And nice. <laughs> how was that? How was Berkeley? 
it was amazing. Berkeley is super cool. Um, I, I had some great professors and like, you know, I mentioned some of those gaps, like really filled in a lot of those gaps. I learned a ton while I was there. Boston is like the coolest city in the country for sure. Yeah. Um, like if it was affordable to live in Boston, I'd definitely still be there because it's just super cool. And yeah, Berkeley was a great experience. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was like, I hope, I'm sure you learned how to read music before you got into there. <laughs> a little bit. You'd oh, okay. be surprised. Oh. I actually, <laughs> I was not great. I'm still not great at reading music, actually. But I got a lot better at arranging and sequencing mm -hmm. before I got in there. And so I had a pretty, pretty significant portfolio. And um, my audition went surprisingly well. So, yeah. That's good. I, I was I was very surprised with my re music reading knowledge that they let me in. Yeah, but hey, there's always room to learn. I remember. Yes, I I went to the University of Montana and took the theory placement exam. <laughs> like, had never seen like an alto clef before, and was like, oh, like that was like question two, and I'm like, oh man, this is gonna go like horribly. <laughs> <laughs> like, bombed the theory placement, got put in like remedial theory. And by like year two, I was like, just, I was caught up with everybody and was like, hey, playing field's been leveled. It just took me a little bit longer. <laughs> That's awesome. Sometimes it takes you a little while to get there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they probably like heard the talent and then they're like, okay, well, notes we can work with, you know, yeah. we can educate that. <laughs> but if you can't play, then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, so from Boston, after you finished there, then you moved back west, correct? Right. We had my wife and I had been in St. George before we moved to Boston, mm. and then after Boston, we we were like, well, it's closer to family. We just had a little girl, so we want to be closer to the family, so they can see her a little more, and we can see them a little bit yeah. more. So, we were like, where where are we gonna go? We were debating a lot of places. We we were debating mostly between Asheville, North Carolina, Nashville, St. George, and Los Angeles. And wow. I was like, Los Angeles is where we wanted to be, but mm -hmm. nobody can afford to live in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. And we, we went on a big road trip down to Nashville and it was like, this is a cool town, but it's not, it's, not it, it's a lot of people trying to do exactly what I was trying to do. And it felt very much like, oh, just jump in that pond with all of those big fish and Right. So we, we decided on St. George. Nice. And so you're close enough to family that they might have to call before they arrive. And yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> so you, how many albums have you put out? As Logan Kendall, I have done, let's see, we'll only count the ones that are actually available. Um, <laughs> There was one man band of gypsies. There is no A and Kendall. Four? Four. Let the okay. Sun In and Canyon Lands. Okay, okay. Yeah, and you know, listening to uh well, there's no A and Kendall. I forgot about the one man band of gypsies. Um but from those early ones to Canyon Lands, it's quite a, a difference um in change and tone and stuff. 
what is there something that might have spurred this on or is it just maturing of musical taste or um well yeah i mean there's definitely just change in taste change in influences um change in my arranging and production ability a, a lot that's actually i mean i haven't released anything as logan kendall in a while but the next thing I release will be even more different because over the past four years, my production skills have changed a ton, but um, especially between let the sun in and Canyon Labs, which were both released in 2016, those were kind of meant to be um, like a B like the, you know, okay. uh, two disc editions, like let the sun in was very bright, very, poppy almost you know like hippie pop type vibe and canyon lands is very dark and yeah. that was kind of the intention canyon lands was supposed to finally be it got to a point where i felt like i couldn't release much in minor key on my albums because every time mm -hmm. anybody talked about my stuff they're like oh yeah it's so relaxing and happy and yeah bubbly and it was like I actually have some songs that don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided to do those two uh, back to back. And then as I was working on Canyon lands, um, a lot changed for me personally and just in the world. I mean, that was Canyon lands. I believe I released in October of 2016. Ah. Yeah, I think so. So just, all this whole time <laughs> yes yeah and and uh you know with those changes you felt them from the beginning of well really from 2015 um and then personally there was a, a lot of stress and and depression that i was coping with and so uh that was a, a big influence on that album and then the more fun influences at, at the same time like um <laughs> my my favorite shows with my wife that we were watching were Justified and uh, uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah. And so that was like the goal. <laughs> I was like, I want to release a song that's going to make it on one of those shows. I'm going to get a sync license on one of those two shows. It didn't happen. I actually did get an email or a response to an email from uh, the, the uh, what is their job called? The, the sound techs or the music no tech? it's the music person who selects the songs it's oh embarrassing. i can't remember the word for this because it's a job i actually pursued for a yeah. while anyway music supervisor there we go right right for the music yeah. supervisor for uh peaky blinders they did respond to one of my messages oh wow like, well yeah we checked the song out we, we like the sound and i was hopeful but it didn't work out uh, <laughs> that would have been cool it would have yeah. <laughs> but, yeah mainly the the main change was just i mean i feel like i changed a lot and the world changed a lot in that in that window and so that canyon lands definitely has a more somber tone than than my previous work yeah, yeah on and i i felt like a teenager because i was like I'm recovering from COVID right now, so I just get really tired. <laughs> so I was, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna listen to this album and lay on the floor like I was 16, and I'm just gonna. And, and so I like the second I put it on, I was like, oh, this is gonna be a good floor album. Like when I was a kid, I would just lay down. You know, you'd put something like a CD on, and then you just like zone out and like. So I really enjoyed Canyonlands. My dogs and I were chilling together, and I was like, 
oh, I've got all the angst of like being 17 again. And like the, the characters of the songs, I mean, just they're just so visual and vivid. And it was like, my imagination was just having so much fun listening to it. And I really enjoyed it. And your, and your covers are amazing. Like I was at yellow flicker beat. I like could, I didn't even know, like until the lyrics came and I was like, I know this song, but I don't know it. Like, like it was just so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Julia Cannon. Uh, oh, provided the vocals for that. Voice. She's so yeah. good. She's so, so good. She's a friend of mine living in Nashville. I met her at Berkeley. Actually, I met her on my first day at Berkeley uh, in, in the uh, bookstore. I'm a princess cut from marble, smoother than a storm. Oh, and, funny. Yeah. And uh, we didn't end up having a class together for like a year after that but yeah she she provided the vocals on that one and did an incredible job that was the second time i'd worked with her she actually also is the the guest vocal on my song by the fire from let the sun in so it was really cool by the fire she recorded in my apartment in boston and then uh yellow flicker beat she recorded from nashville and remote sent it over so that was like one of my first times working remotely with another artist Oh, that's yeah, everybody cool. listening to this needs to check out Julia Cannon because she's an incredible producer and she's an incredible songwriter. I can't I can't give her enough of a shout out. And now people talk to me, but nothing ever hits home. People talk to me and all the voices just burn holes. Her artistry in that song was just beautiful. I mean I was like I just had never heard the lyrics like um just the emphasis on him. My brain's dead right now. <laughs> it was just really beautiful to listen a to. A lot of a lot of great stuff came together on that track because like Lord was almost my uh my emancipation from feeling like I couldn't listen to pop music. And gr growing up in the nineties, like pop music was boy band. Like right. and, and as a You listen as a dude <laughs> yeah exactly like as a dude from a from a very masculine mm -hmm. patriarchal society in addition to a time when pop music was just so bubblegum it was like no you can't listen to pop music and so I did oh, yeah. it for a long yeah. time and then with Lord it was like I can't I can't not listen to Lord. She's just so good. And so oh, that album, but, that first one is it Pure Heroin? I can't remember. What yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. oh, that's such a cool album. It really is. And then I think that you say that though, because like I think my brother went through something similar like that. Cause he I remember we were in college and he came out and he was like, I'm just gonna admit something to you. And he was like drunk and I'm like, okay, what's gonna happen? He's like, I like Britney Spears. Everybody <laughs> likes Britney Spears. Can we say that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, uh, and Miley Cyrus too. <laughs> like, it's just so funny. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, I thought this I mean, would be deeper. I mean, yeah. come on. It's like <laughs> But for him, it was. It was like, it, I, could, it, I mean, it's really a thing. Like you, you feel like, at least for me, you know, you feel like, no, these are the these are the genres I'm allowed to listen to. These mm -hmm. are the genres it's cool to listen to, and you can still be a tough dude if you Man listen to it. And then, like, you can't, you can't go outside of that. And then, especially as time has progressed, like a lot of the people we listened to in the '90s that were like the cool, whatever band, they've just kind of gone extreme cheese 
You know, yeah. you, you look at them now, it's like, you can't really be the rowdy, obnoxious 90s ska punk <laughs> guy in your 40s. It it has a very different vibe. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. <laughs> I can't. It, I mean, oh. I remember when the, the big um, revival of like Zoot Suit Riot and stuff came on and, uh, you know, I start putting some of those songs in to like show my kids, you know, and then I was like, oh, this one's really cool. Cherry Poppin' Daddies. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh. Uh, <laughs> an adult just listen to the music no don't listen to the lyrics yeah <laughs> feel the beat if the daddy's rich <laughs> do what you feel or no if yeah. daddy's poor just do what you feel <laughs> no oh my gosh i forgot about that line yeah i remember like <laughs> hearing that and like you know you sing along to it and then it like sunk in it was like oh my god what <laughs> <laughs> hmm yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah the i was lord is definitely a big a big influence on me in the last few years for sure oh yeah but i have to admit it took me a long time to get into that like to be able to be like okay i can get like i can listen to pop music it's okay you know and not yeah. necessarily because of the like hyper masculinity or anything but just like for me there wasn't a lot of like I didn't like anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, if it wasn't for Billie Eilish, I think I would just be really? like, first time I heard one of her songs, I just like did a double take and was like, "What the hell is this? This is awesome!" <laughs> yes, this is on the yeah. radio. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> My little sister introduced me to her after she found out I was a huge fan of Lord, and yeah, I'm she, Billie Eilish, Lord. Like right now songwriting is just dominated by teen girls mm. and like <laughs> you know there's there's been attempts to revive the emo scene and and you listen to the words and in, in those you know it used to be in the early 2000s if you wanted to listen to music with lyrics where nobody was afraid to be emotional right and wear their heart on their sleeve it was the emo scene and now you listen to that and it's all kind of feels cliche and then you go and listen to lord and billy eilish and then a myriad of other you know, teen girl pop artists whose names I don't even know because <laughs> Spotify is the jukebox of our time. Right. Like the, the things they write make me feel like I can't write songs anymore because it's right. like, you're like, I'm trying to think what the artist is. There's some artists I was listening to the other day and I'm listening to this song, like, Holy cow, the things that she's saying, the metaphor she's creating. And then in the middle of the song, she drops some line about being 17. And I'm like, yeah. when I was 17, I was doing my very best to, write really really bad versions of green day right like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah but i think it's liberating to hear like music like lord and philly Irish because mm-hmm. i feel like you know gr- growing up as a 90s kid it was like okay you have these powerhouse voices like britney and christina aguilera and mariah carey and you you grow up with this idea that like okay you could only be a pop star if you have this amazing belt range and i remember thinking that because like my sister and i grew up singing love singing but it's like i can either have like this operatic high soprano or i can sing with the dude from coldplay we have like the same <laughs> for as far as my chest and head voice goes and i was like i have no middle powerhouse and i remember thinking like oh man like i could never like i couldn't identify with like any female artists on stage and so when you you get people like lord and billy eilish that are like 
like just nailing this like softer subtle like area of the voice and are a superstar with it it's so cool to see just like i don't know the playing fields all over the map with artistry and and what you can do and you don't have to be the powerhouse on stage in the flashy costume to, <laughs> to make it <laughs> yeah yes precisely and i mean it's it's a outsider's perspective but i feel like especially for women like mm -hmm. they have bulldozed through that that idea that you have to be a diva to be yeah. successful as a pop artist like i mean I guys had a lot of a lot of outlets for years but like yeah. that has definitely changed that. that oh yeah like yeah i mean even like there was a time when it was better than it was in the 80s through now you know you in the in the 60s and 70s given things weren't better but like yeah you did get you know you got your carol king and Mm -hmm. and some great artists back then and then like something happened in the late 70s and it was like okay you have to be in this makeup in this costume you have to sing your voice has to sound like this and mm -hmm. that's how it was and like yes in the madonna last <laughs> decade yeah madonna happened and like everybody was madonna after madonna in some variety i mean mm -hmm. and then yeah in the last decade like i love the variety and yeah. I love the intensity that is being embraced from female artists right now. It's just incredible. Wow. Like, and, and not only that, like the, there have been several people that I've found lately. And like I said, I can't remember anybody's names, but like people <laughs> you listen to and you can't tell what genre or what, what gender yeah. they are. You can't, you can't, and you don't need to know, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just great music and their voices are amazing and they don't sound like what they, what we were always told you had to sound like, and yeah. they don't write songs about the things that they're supposed to write about. It's, <laughs> it is a great time to be listening to pop music and yeah. it's probably not a great time to be a 40 uh, approaching 40 year old man <laughs> who just really wants to be a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. <ya. laughs> so who were some of your like inspirations? Who were? Yeah. Or, oh, um, oh man. Early on, a, a lot of it was, I mean, it was definitely all old stuff. Um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young is probably, was probably my biggest influence for, through all of the albums I've currently released um the beatles obviously um it's been a while since i listed them and then as time went on you know i i did get a lot of further influence my wife I, i'd never been into nine inch nails before i started dating katrina oh good katrina <laughs> yeah she katrina really introduced me to a lot of really cool stuff um before her it had been mostly like classic rock classic folk rock stuff um and then you know the 90s like as much as i've ragged on it the 90s ska punk scene was just like mm. a freaking riot to be a part of and it's still fun to go back and listen to that stuff mm. so there was a lot of those influences um and then about mid 2000s i started getting into composing for film scores mm. and 
theater friends who were like, Hey, you, you make music. Can you make music for my, for my movie? And so from there I was like, Oh, I'm going to start listening to film scores. And of course, like that opened a, a floodgate of great, <laughs> great composers to be listening to Alfred or not Alfred Newman. Uh, Thomas Newman is mm. one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and and then speaking of Newman's, like Randy Newman, I still right. hold that Randy Newman is the greatest lyricist ever. He, that guy writes things that he shouldn't write and about things that he shouldn't write about. And you listen to it and you're like, oh, but it's okay because of how you wrote it. Like he's just right. incredible. Yeah. Um, Todd Snyder has been a big influence. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah. I mean, Randy Newman's just so cool. I remember my mom had a book of Randy Newman songs you could play for piano. And I would just sit there like on her little, well, at the time she only had an electric keyboard, but I was just like playing through things like short people and all these other great songs that he wrote. And just like, these are so cool. You know, the way he works with the lyrics and the way he puts the words on the lines itself, you know? The melodic lines. Yeah. Randy Newman is is a definite favorite of mine for both. I mean, everything he does. He's he's talented in every arena because his oh, yeah. lyrics are so deep and biting, you know, politically, socially, whatever. He he just he knows how to dig in the knife in an entertaining yet like thought-provoking way. Oh yeah. But then besides that, like as a composer, as an arranger, I mean, there is a reason that Pixar used him for basically everything until they started using Thomas Newman, you know, right. like. <laughs> and then you were talking about Snyder. Todd Snyder. Todd Snyder is, is a folk singer from East Nashville. Okay. And I discovered him on um, NPR back in, I feel like it was the early two thousands. And he's kind of like, our generation's Randy Newman, not, not so much musically, but lyrically, like he writes oh, wow. hysterical songs and tells hysterical stories about like current uh, topical things. And he's just, if you haven't listened to Todd Snyder, you need to, cause he's incredible. So he, like, he was a big list. <laughs> yes, for sure. He was a big influence on, on my song. Um, anti-fascism forever which is mm. the most recent thing i've released like that's very much his style he's like a a uh arlo guthrie style folk folk troubadour and and then like since then like i've said my influences have have opened up in such crazy ways i mean so like in 2016 i released canyon lands and uh, then everything changed, you know, almost at the same time that Trump won, I had just finished a West coast tour that was money losing. Oh. And that was like the same time that I released Canyon lands. And it, so it was just like, it kind of made me hate it. it kind of made me hate my guitar, it made me mm -hmm. hate music. And fortunately at the same time, and this is a weird one, but at the same time, I saw that ad for the Dead Mouse Masterclass, which I'm yeah. sure you guys have seen. You know, the one, this is a cardinal sin of ADM right here. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, 
I could watch that. Why not? And I watched it and it's not hugely uh, educational. It was great. Like it opened synthesis to me in a way that I had never experienced before. I tried to figure out synthesizers and it was like, I don't, I don't understand them. I don't understand what a synthesizer is or does. And that like somehow clarified it for me. Right. But it got me way into listening to dead mouse. And that was at the same time melodrama came out from Lord. And so mm-hmm. like overnight I went from listening to Ray LaMontagne and iron and wine on repeat. And, <laughs> and uh, who's the other one? Uh, Mumford and sons. You know, oh, I, yeah. That, oh, yeah. I hadn't let go of listening to any of that stuff on repeat. It, it, it had been years since any of them had released albums. And yet like that was all I listened to. Clinging, then, like... <laughs> yes, exactly. Like it's, it's going to come back. <laughs> Which I will wait. I will. Yes, wait. exactly. And here, as an aside, like the mo- the moment folk singers started singing "Hey Ho," indie folk died. Like that was that was right. the end. It, it, it was like like ska. Once once everybody started saying "Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up," that was the end of ska. And with indie folk, yep. it was "Hey Ho." Like we're done. So fortunately for me, at that same time, I fell in love with dead mouse and with lord and then that introduced you know billy eilish and 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 that was also the time when i finally realized you know what you have to get spotify because <laughs> like your ipod is not gonna cut it anymore they're not making it anymore like once right. this ipod is dead your entire music library is gone you need to get spotify and then i had to do that with my zune oh man the <laughs> you zune. remember what a zune is yeah oh, you, you should talk to my wife about that she she was like a zune holdout it was like, and the thing that made me mad is like sorry a quick soapbox on zune is like itunes eventually like at its peak turned into zune and i'm like zune, microsoft did this 10 years ago where the hell have you guys been <laughs> right <laughs> But now I'm a Spotify-aholic, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, as as much as I despise Spotify because of financial reasons, like yeah. it, right. for a music discovery tool, it is glorious. It oh, is. Yeah. It really is. And it's it's gotten so much better. I remember like 10 years ago, I like started a subscription. I was like, well, I'll just try this. This is new. And they had like just this small classical and I'm like in my head, I'm justifying it. Like, okay, I need a classical library. And now I'm like, oh, it's such a good resource. And they're always recommending crap to me and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Although I do struggle with the classical. So I don't have a classical background at all. And like, you know, there's a few songs I know I like or a few pieces I know I like. And, but with classical music is really hard because of how many people have recorded it. Right. Uh, so like best yeah. example I can think of is Claire de Lune. Like, oh, I love that piece so much. And I have in my mind what it's supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. And then I try and find it on Spotify and it's like, nope, this guy's not playing it right. You're playing it too fast. No, yep. you're playing it too slow. That's, that's not the correct pacing for that moment. Like, right. And I don't know. I mean, no, it's so I don't true. read classical music. So maybe they're doing it perfectly, but yeah, like, you get in mind what it's supposed to sound like, and then you can't find the track that sounds like that. And especially with Spotify, it's like Claire de Lune. Okay, here's 5,000 different versions of it. <laughs> Half of them are going to be something somebody sequenced with a MIDI sequencer, and there's like no no human touch to it at all. <laughs> yeah. enough, I think my favorite version, I know exactly what we're talking about. because I remember are like you going to say Twilight? No, I was going to say Ocean, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. 
Yes. That's my the, favorite the, version of it. I remember having that on a soundtrack and I don't even know like what orchestra plays it on. I mean, I could Google it now, but I couldn't back then. And I just was like, Ocean's Eleven's version's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite really is the Twilight version, which isn't even on Spotify for some yeah, weird like, reason. I loved those soundtracks. <laughs> the Twilight ones were my guilty pleasures. Those were great soundtracks, and in the actual application of the film, they were terrible. I know. It was oh, yeah. so like, weird. Like you had this great soundtrack that had like it had Collective yeah. Soul on it, and it was released in what like, like two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like the ones. The one scene I will give credit. I think it's Hearing Damage is the name of the song and that scene where like they're chasing them through the forest and like it it lines up well and i'm like okay out of four five movies y'all did one thing right <laughs> yeah, i will totally admit, killed I it only ever watched three. the first one i think it's in the second movie there's okay. it gets better they switch directors every movie though i don't know if it was like try twilight and then now i'm never coming back to this right. <laughs> Fire a new guy <laughs> Oh, it was through Twilight that I got into Muse. Oh, really? Yeah. Because yeah. I had, like, never really heard of him, you know? And she then... talks about it in the book, too. Or she talks well, about how, like, that was her favorite band, and then they put them in the movies, and... No, I, I didn't like... read the books. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you weren't a teenage girl back in 2010? Hey, right. Well, I read the book. <laughs> I read the first one. I read the first one, and I was so hopeful because I was like, okay, this isn't great really not even good but it's good bones this could make yeah. a really great movie and mm -hmm. then they made the movie and i'm like they made it worse they how could you possibly <laughs> make that worse <laughs> and i felt so bad too because it like especially um kristen stewart i loved mm -hmm. kristen stewart before that i love and her things after but I, yeah yes exactly like she that was so good before that and she was so so terrible in it and it like i was really worried that her career wasn't going to recover from it yeah i thought that too and then i ran into like one of my friends in college was like she's amazing i have a crush on her and i'm like from from twilight <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah yeah that was her peak i'm like have you seen that's... charlie's angels she was good in that <laughs> She was really good in that Christmas movie that came out this year. I didn't yeah. love the movie, but she was really good in it. I Happiest Christmas that. or something like that. Yeah. That, that was really good. My movie list. It's a sappy, it's, a, it's sappy, but it's good. I'm, I'm all about I it. Right I don't now. know how to describe it as sappy. Well, it's almost it's, like. It's, it's almost not sappy, which was my problem with it. Like there's, there's, there's a strong lack of chemistry in the movie well okay yes i mean but i i feel like that's kind of how a lot of the films are with her in them yeah i was like well there's like, a strong lack she's really good <laughs> but then there's like no chemistry between her and anyone else uh, yeah you know what i mean uh-huh so i love but. the rabbit hole of a conversation <laughs> I've never done a podcast before and I'm really good at derailing conversations. So that's great. <laughs> that's what we are here for. I am the conversational ADD. That's fine. Well, and like, um, back to Twilight. Um, I remember the only people I could remember that were excited about the new movies were like tweens and then middle-aged stay-at-home moms who are about to hit menopause you know what i mean 
They were just like, those were the groups that wanted to see it. Everyone else was just like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) When the second one or first one came out, it also came out when Quantum of Solace came out for the James Bond film. Yeah. And so at that premiere, like I had drugged two of my guy friends and we were like, let's go see Quantum of Solace. And I was like, I'm a huge Daniel Craig fan. Let's do it. And then like Twilight was next. And I was like, will you guys stay for Twilight with me? And so there's all these girls that were like dragging their boyfriends into the theater. And like I had like two guys on my arm, like, <laughs> so funny. Glare it out. I mean, oh God. But are they Christmas movies? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> now i'm about to go down the christmas prince rabbit hole oh no happened. have you entered that rabbit hole yet not yet i just finished the princess switch <laughs> <laughs> hmm. i haven't tried that one oh, we did Vanessa. we did attempt the the christmas prince i'll hold my opinion just in case it was a it was a bias one maybe it'll be great for you <laughs> Oh, I already know it's going to be bad, and I'm. I'm <laughs> I knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> there, there, there's bad, and then there's like awesomely bad, and awesomely bad is what you expect from a from a Christmas movie starring the Eye Zombie Girl. Yeah, yeah. That's where I remember. I was like, oh, I've seen her in something before. Okay. Yeah, that's oh, why. Thank she's, you for connecting. She's no longer <laughs> no longer pale. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'll just have to get some wine for that one. <laughs> Lots. Of Watching the clock as the seconds tick away, each one carefully scheduled to the tick, so that not one goes to waste. There's just so much to take care of in the brief hours of the day. want a great christmas series to go down the rabbit hole there's a series called home for christmas oh yeah from norway on netflix oh it norway. is so good i saw the ad for that okay i'm putting it on the list new new season coming out next week and season one was so good it's Perfect. it's it is adult only but don't don't sit down with the kids to watch family movie night (laughs) i watched the holiday and i was like oh i cannot watch this with my nieces who were like (laughs) 10 (laughs) last night my wife was like let's watch i really want to see uh just friends again like okay it's been a couple years since we've seen it we're like "Ah, that's fine you know and so we're watching it everyone's in there (laughs) it's like all of a sudden, my my son just like gets up and walks out. <laughs> We're like, oh, okay, we found uh, his limit. <laughs> oh man, man, just friends. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Yeah, it's a good one. Anything with Ryan Reynolds is going to be at least good. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I have to ask. Um, okay, I have to know how you created your 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 gas can guitar that's over your right shoulder okay uh because so when i was in my doctorate i used a cigar box and uh kit and made a c- electronic cigar box guitar cool and i screwed up 
the, like the placement of the speaker so it like has its own speaker system and things um but like if you turn it up just loud enough the vibrations will keep the strings going and then the sounds overlap each other and it creates like this like rawr, almost like a, a lion's roar kind of thing going on um it's actually really cool and they keep it at lsu but um but yeah so i'm interested in how you turned in how you turned that into a you know just a gas can into a guitar okay so i actually started out somewhat the same way um i watched this documentary i can't remember the name of it but jack white interviews jimmy page oh wow it's like oh my god something about loud was the name of it you i wish i could remember the name of it because it really i'm not even a fan of jack white but in that he makes a guitar out of a pickup a nail and a wire and he like hammers a nail and then he like jams a a bottle underneath it to be the the bridge and then he like plays it with a slide and i was like oh my gosh you can make a guitar out of anything and then i fell down like the rabbit hole (laughs) of looking into cigar box guitars and stuff and so actually the first one i made you can see over here i bought a cookie tin with the mona lisa on it at di which is a thrift store in Provo. And I made a fretless three string cookie tin guitar out of that. And it just, I went to the guitar store and the repair section. I was like, do you guys have any like old pickups that I could have? And they gave me one. So that was the first one I made and it turned out pretty cool. And so then I was like, Hmm, where can I, where can I take this? And I went to, (laughs) um, there's a great big army surplus store in Brigham City, Utah, called Smith and Edwards. Oh, um, right, yeah, you know the freeway, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you drive oh. by and they have like, you know, random tank, you know, like jugs and whatever out in this yard, and, and like defunct like missile bodies. Tracks. Yes, yes. Like oh, yeah, I remember empty this place. empty missile shells yeah. uh, amongst <laughs> like old tractor tires. It's it's. It, they've cleaned it up a lot at the time it was just a junkyard back there and so i went there and i was like can i just look out in this yard for something hollow and they were like yes and so i found (laughs) that that uh gas can for i think i bought it for 10 bucks wow and i used a lot of the wrong tools like a dremel with a metal cutting blade and things (laughs) i just cut it open i actually ended up having to cut out about two inches because it was way too much to reach around the full can originally Mm -hmm. and then the innards of it the the neck and the pickups and everything is actually my very first guitar it was a pv predator guitar and something about the gas can affected all of that equipment in such a way that it sounds better than my Fender Stratocaster. Wow. So yeah, it it turned out way better than I expected. The one problem with it is that somehow something is grounding out. So I can only use the neck pickup. I cannot switch it to the bridge pickup. I I took it to a guitar shop to have them fix it. And the guy just looked at me like, how dare you call this a guitar? (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's the story of the gas can. I fidgeted with it and it worked out. And I actually, I honestly think that might be the reason that I got into Berkeley going back to that part of the conversation. Like I, I played that for my audition and they, they gave me like three seconds of sight reading test. And then they just wanted to talk about the guitar. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Love it. Yeah, I remember the first video I saw with you playing it, and I was like, "How is he not like have tetanus or something?" I mean, it <laughs> like some of the sound holes looked like a little sharp, you know? Oh yeah. And I just yeah. didn't want to, like I could see you like going in for a big power chord and going ah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It uh, fortunately it doesn't have any super jagged spots. I mean, this is a podcast, so people can't even see what I'm pointing at here. If you have but, a picture, we can post a picture of it. Okay. So, so things about it, you can see there are hinges. So mm -hmm. I cut out that section in the middle. Well, I left it so it stays, it can still open up. And that's how I'm able to like open it up and change the strings and work on any of the, the electronics that need repaired. Okay. But, um, the problem is to do that, you put it back together and it just clanks together because it's just bare metal. So there's actually, and it's still the same fabric I put in it the day I made it. I just cut up a piece of an old hoodie and stuffed that around the edges. And that's what keeps it from rattling together. And then it's held together with a couple of bungee straps. Oh, wow. So every once in a while, somebody's like, you need to sell those. And I'm like, you clearly have not looked closely at how this thing functions. <laughs> Jack White would be very proud. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Jack White would be proud and Leo Fender would roll in his grave. Right. <laughs> and then is that a cigar box guitar back there too? This one is a lunchbox. It's oh, a, okay. It's a Kermit the Frog lunchbox. <laughs> and that is actually a 12-string electric. Wow. So all of these you, you can see on my YouTube channel at various times the the 12 string i did a cover of uh rainbow connection and i tried to do it in the style of the birds because the oh, birds cool. that was like the thing that they did was the electric 12 string nice. so i kind of usually i don't try and just like straight up mimic another artist's style but since that wasn't really something for an album i was like i'm gonna sound as much like the birds as possible and make this video as much like the 1960s as possible it's <laughs> It's one of my daughter's favorites. Oh, I love it. Speaking of your daughter, I enjoyed the She-Ra cover on your YouTube channel. Uh, I made my Thank boyfriend you. watch that with me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> you made your boyfriend watch She-Ra with you? Yeah. Awesome. It's so good. We bartered. It's so, so good. You know, this going back to like living an incredible time, like, having that show for my daughter to watch is something I'm so, so grateful for. I know like, right. the representation in it. The themes are wonderful and it's yes. such a like kick ass show. I don't know. I mean, it's like cheesy for the first season and then like, it just gets so dark, but it's so good. <laughs> it is. It really is so good. And yes, like the themes, the fact, well, I guess I can't, I don't want to spoil anything, but like there, nobody is held to, a a previous decision in that mm -hmm. show anybody is free to become a good guy in that show yeah. well and i and, love the, the character arcs and yeah yeah that's a really good observation like oh yeah everyone transforms so wildly in that it's oh so good <laughs> yeah so good i loved loved that series and and i watched it with my daughter and then i was like we have to do a dark wave cover of this theme song. We have to, you have to sing it. 
and that's so cool i was getting chills watching it because she's got just such a, a beautiful voice and oh thank you the imagery was like oh this is way too good <laughs> <laughs> did she fight you on it was she like daddy i don't want to do this oh no no oh no she she was very excited <laughs> about it and then she was like when are we gonna film my video and i was like <laughs> I have ideas like, for your video. So I don't. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a a natural performer, and she loves the idea of like being online and and uh -huh. you know having people watch her video. Every time somebody leaves a nice comment, she's super stoked about it. Uh -huh. So, and I love watching her and you <laughs> sing uh, the Coco theme. Remember me, though I have to travel far. Remember me each time you hear a sad guitar. Know that I'm with you the only way that I can be. Until you're in my arms again. it's really touching especially like i thought it was i originally saw of course the english version and then i was like wait there is that the same song and so then i went to the spanish version and you both sang it in spanish and i was like what she's how old and she can speak spanish what's going on <laughs> <laughs> she, she can't <laughs> she can speak a little bit of spanish she speaks enough to sing that song and then like a handful of phrases she also speaks a little bit of Norwegian. She can oh, tell wow. you she has a turtle in Norwegian. <laughs> I <laughs> but, love it. <laughs> but yeah, she learned how to sing it in in Spanish to do that cover. And there's a couple other songs. There's actually, so Linda Ronstadt released an album of mariachi songs back wow. in like the early 80s, late 70s. And there's a song from that called Sol Que Tu Eres that I sing with my daughter as a lullaby and she sings along with that in Spanish. And so she's good at, good at singing in Spanish, but we, I, I speak a very limited Spanish and I wasn't, unfortunately I wasn't able to pass any of that along to my children. But my dad spoke them... fluent Spanish and he didn't speak it at home. Oh, and so that that's something all, all of the kids in my family are bitter about. We're like, dad, we could have been bilingual. Right. But I guess he didn't really have anybody to talk to because my mom didn't speak Spanish. So. Right, right. <laughs> so did you, do you give Evangeline um, lessons in music? Not really. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I coach her a little bit on, you know, like good, good singing technique when things go clearly off the rails. Recently there's been that there's always every singer goes through this phase where they think that sliding is the key to sounding yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. And so, you know, we had the, the vocal lesson where I was like, actually, you know, that's, that's a tool that you can use once you've mastered good intonation. And so I showed her, you know, like do re mi, it's very important that you hit the do re mi's. And once you've mastered that, then you can practice moving quickly between the do re mi's. And then once you've really mastered that and you have complete control of your voice, then you can start sliding until then you are limited to a 12 note scale and there will be no deviation. 
vocal pedagogues everywhere are like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard when you're a kid, though, because you're just like, well, I hear it on the radio. Why can't I do it? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, I I don't have a lot of uh, vocal I, that's a word I actually can't say. Pedag- I can say pedagogical, but I can't say pedag- pedagogical. Anyways, there you go. <laughs> I don't have the background in teaching it. And so like, I know there's things that, that I could do for my daughter to help her improve, but I don't have yeah. the tool set. I need to, I need to look into that a little bit. Cause definitely, I mean, she's like a natural vocal talent. She's been able to sing very on pitch since she was like a year old she's been singing and along with me with her bedtime songs and yeah that's so. what i've noticed is like the songs aren't edited in a way that like you can tell the pitch has been adjusted on the voice you know i mean there's mm-hmm. no auto tune yeah there's no auto tune like you can tell that that's her that's her singing yeah yeah there's you know there's mild amounts of all of that stuff on everything because it's just the world we live in for vocals. Right. I, I I could I have a soapbox about auto tune hate, but uh, <laughs> right right. <laughs> I'll, I'll quickly soapbox my auto tune hate. So the way that vocals are recorded, and I'm not entirely sure what the difference is, but like you can hear in about the late '70s, suddenly voices just started sounding off pitch. Right. Everybody, and then that that fixed in the 90s and it fixed in the 90s because of auto-tune and because of pitch correction but sometime between the 70s and the 90s basically we were just getting way too much vocal information way too much of the frequency of the human voice and people don't like it like Mm -hmm. it's we don't like the way it sounds to our ears it has to be absolutely pitch perfect if we're going to get that full frequency range or it's just going to sound bad right so I don't hate auto-tune and I think it is an important tool at times. And I do use it a little bit on my recordings and even on my daughter's, but like not to the point of like, here you are, you're a robot and you don't deviate from the, from the 12 notes, you know, like, right. There's, there's variation there, but anyways, (laughs) polishing something that wasn't originally there. If that makes sense. (laughs) Exactly. Like she, she's hitting those notes. They're all there. You just, you have to clean it up and perfect it a little bit for modern sound or else our yeah. brains do not like the truth of it. I think that's fair. I, I remember thinking that about like, and maybe this is just because I threw on prom on Netflix and I was like, oh, there's always that weird juxtaposition of like seeing two people in a room singing and like not hearing the acoustics of that room. And part of me is like, okay, and then my brain does this fight where it's like, okay, but you wouldn't enjoy the acoustics of them singing in a high school gym. You want right. the studio acoustics, but I'm like, but my brain can't, like, ah. Somebody on the set needed to tell Les Miserables that. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. How a sound guy didn't just say, no, no, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. That's not going to sound good to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> is beyond me because... Like Mr. Rogers is the only person in human history who is allowed to like onset sound that way. And it'd be okay. (laughs) It was fine for him. (laughs) Yeah. Especially uh, freaking like, I mean, we know that Hugh Jackman can sing. Right. He has a great voice. Right. But he has a great voice when he's singing into a good microphone in a good room 
or when he's on Broadway and you're experiencing it live, but like, that was a, such a, such a bad idea. But yes, that yeah. you, if you're going to do a show where they're singing in the gym, you should do something to make the sound sing like they're singing in a gym. That's just good sound design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead you get this stereo perfect. And it's so funny because it's like, you could hear, I don't know. There's just like a scene where there's two like high school girls singing and one is belting and the other one is singing softer and they've like mixed them to the same like volume. And I'm like, Oh, this is such a mind fuck right now. (laughs) (laughs) This would never happen in the real world. Or, you know, like I just, it's so funny how your brain tries to like wrap itself around these like artificial or maybe my brain just does that. But no, no, that's, that's definitely, Mm -hmm. it's like the, the audio version of the uncanny Valley. Mm -hmm. You guys are familiar with the uncanny Valley, right? Oh yeah think so it's the idea that like once you've cgi'd a a fake like you we can look at people like disney pixar animation and our brains don't hate it and we can look at real people and our brains don't hate it but if you look at like um what was the final fantasy there was a final fantasy movie that came out in the 90s and it was like they tried to hyper realistic the faces using cgi and people's minds hate it because there's this uncanny valley where it's like okay it looks almost like a human but it's not a human yeah we hate it and yeah this is the same thing with audio like yeah like okay too much of the human voice we don't like that also like when you've when you've gleed the voices you know like you have Mm -hmm. perfect pitch and no reverb and they're in a gym like we know that's not right too our brains can recognize so yeah you have to have good sound design you have to have you have to treat human voices like human voices if it's a a situation where they're supposed to be real i mean people nobody well okay somebody probably hates believe by share right that that's a stylistic choice it works but when you're yeah. talking about a musical no you can't like no, robot was... voice the human voice for a musical and have it there work was, there was beauty the beauty and the beast i love emma watson and i i just the sound designer in that like totally totally blew it because i'm like the disney like you've set up this um gosh i can't think of the word you've set up this like trope of disney princesses have belt voices and mm. their belt voices go with an orchestra great whatever i love it and then it's like they put emma watson in there and it was like they kept the orchestra it was like emma watson count belt <laughs> like a disney princess and she didn't but it was like they just ramped up the volume on her voice to compete with the the orchestral score and i was like this is terrible <laughs> yes disney oh, maybe so maybe they're not out of it yet i don't know but something went horribly wrong with Disney's sound on their live action stuff. The Mm -hmm. Lion King, like what happened there? (laughs) The the, the live action Lion King, the sound is so, so bad. You have Beyonce in the studio and it sounds like she's singing into a cell phone mic. Like I don't understand (laughs) what happened with any of that. But yeah, there is a sound guy who is not on Disney level but working at disney yeah for their live action stuff it's baffling and i'm like you could have put i'm like oh you could have worked with us like you could have worked with emma watson's voice and made beauty and the beast better it's like you could have taken the powerhouse of beyonce and given it the powerhouse that it demanded it's like you gotta you can break away from your trope if you make it good (laughs) yeah right 
Yes. And once they realize, like with Emma Watson, once they realize what they were working with, with her voice, like that's where a good arranger comes in and you say, okay, I guess we're not making this exactly like the cartoon. Let's create an arrangement that works beautifully with this nice, soft, beautiful voice. Yeah. And then we would have all enjoyed it. (laughs) Instead, we got Emma Watson singing karaoke and some sound guy not really making it work. Just crank the meds. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Add a little more reverb. We're good. (laughs) Oh, this has been fun to rant. (laughs) (laughs) All the things I try and rant to my friend, my non-musical friends, and they go, I thought it sounded fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just shut up. (laughs) And I talked to my wife about it and she, she'll be the one to bring it up. Like with that one, she's like, they auto-tuned her too much. I'm like, it's not that it's auto-tuned. I'm not even sure what it is, but it just does not fit. Like somehow they made her sound wrong (laughs) in this mix. I I heard it on an airplane, so I don't even remember. So (laughs) there was a, it was like, <laughs> going in the background. <laughs> One, two, three. If you close the door, the night could last forever. If the sun didn't shine out, say hello to never. All the people are dancing and having such fun. I wish it could happen to me. We should talk one more about one last thing. We want to talk about this brand new, well, it's not brand new, but this new endeavor that you started on um, that we've been so wonderfully blessed with some samples of it. So go ahead. Tell us all about this. Oh, I'm telling you all about it. Okay. So (laughs) hot cocoa has been a passion of mine for a long time. Just drinking it is how it started. I just like always have loved hot cocoa like Mm -hmm. year round, multiple times a day used to drink hot cocoa. Um, And then I started making my own hot cocoa. Um, and for a while, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll start a business doing this. And then I didn't because it was like, yeah, that's too hard. Whatever. <laughs> Your um, brain kills that idea. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my wife just over the years has repeatedly been like, I really think you ought to do something with that. You You really need to sell your hot cocoa. We could start a food truck or we could, you know do something with it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do something with this hot cocoa. And so then a year ago, yes, well, a little over a year ago, we started talking about actually doing something with it. And she was like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm starting your business. You figure out the recipe, figure out the packaging. Let's do this. And so we talked about doing it as a, as a food truck initially. Um, and then long story short, we figured out, okay, food trucks are actually a little bit uh, prohibitive to enter yeah. price-wise. So what else could we do? And then we were like, we could sell it. We could just sell the hot cocoa mix. And so my wife owns the business and runs the business and I make the hot cocoa mix. And we like did some serious 
experimentation and and research on ingredients making sure we were getting like the best quality ingredients we could and i perfected the recipe so like i I hate to toot my own horn but like it's actually the best hot cocoa i've ever drank oh it is it's so it's my own and i don't i am not a bragger like you you can we've talked about my music a lot and i don't think i've said that i really love it ever right like my hot cocoa i love it every time i drink it i'm like this is really really good and so yeah we perfected the recipe and then we found beautiful packaging for it it comes in these glass jars that are you guys didn't get the glass jars because it costs a lot of money to mail the glass jars. Sorry. Well, that's okay. No worries. <laughs> hey, the paper bag was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. But uh, yeah, we, we got it perfected. And then a year ago, we registered for our first business license. And we officially like started selling it to people, I think, last spring. And it's just been growing. And it's been really well received. We're really stoked about how people have responded to it we we're getting lots of repeat customers and yeah it's the goal is kind of for that to become the full-time the full-time gig yeah it's so good uh he didn't mention this but the name is coco cauldron oh my gosh i didn't mention the name we have a website cococaldron.com we're there we on go. instagram facebook <laughs> your instagram is so freaking cute i started following you guys and i'm like i just love the pictures of coco like hooray get all like fuzzy and warm <laughs> yeah, that, yeah my wife is totally in control of the instagram i'm oh, pretty much the grunt I like it. i i make i mix the cocoa and that is my role in the business which is exactly where i want to be like i'm happy in the kitchen <laughs> working for my wife it is <laughs> the the role I want in this endeavor and it's great. Well, and I'll tell you, even though I messed up out of the reading the directions, because that's what I do when I cook, is <laughs> like <laughs> I use water, just hot water instead of hot milk or cream or whatever. And uh it was still rich and smooth and a lot better than any of the packages I've ever we've ever had. So same. That's great news. That. <laughs> and Thank I you so much. Cashew milk because I do have a dairy allergy. But I was like, I'm gonna just brave this and go for it because I saw that you have milk in there, and I was like, okay, I don't drink enough dairy. This will be fine. <laughs> 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 there is dairy in there. Be careful. Surprisingly, really good with the cashew milk too. <laughs> That's good to know. I've actually had people ask that, and we're working on like at farmers markets. That's the number one request we get is like do you guys have a dairy-free version so that's something we're working on it's hard though because dairy tastes so good it does and and the creaminess of our hot cocoa is kind of like the thing so i'm like yeah i tried soy milk powder as an alternative one time and that did not work (laughs) it was intolerable (laughs) i've never felt so bad for lack intolerant people in my life yeah my boyfriend teases me because he can have milk and all that and he's like why do you buy this crap i'm like i don't buy cashew milk for fun (laughs) like i want milk (laughs) but i can't have it (laughs) it's so sad and i did you i think you recently posted like a photo of having to drive like 
eight hours or something. Was that for yes. the cocoa too? That that was for the cocoa. So wow. we we ran out of one of our ingredients, and like I said, like we're very very particular about the ingredients we put in it. Basically, our goal once we decided we were going to do it is like, okay, let's say that like the cocoa you buy at the grocery store is a like a Ford Chevy. Mm-hmm. comparison like we want to be the cadillac of hot cocos mm-hmm. and so we are extremely particular about our ingredients and we had a huge sudden influx of orders that we didn't and we had been expecting more orders in december but like we're talking like multiples of like 30 times our normal orders wow. so it came in big it was people like corporate orders basically and we were like okay we we have I think we have what we need to fill that and then we suddenly realize like oh we just ran out of this ingredient the closest place that sells it is eight hours away so I was like okay I guess I'm going there first thing in the morning and then my daughter was like I want to get out of the house coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> so she she rode in the car with me the whole way and we had a picnic in the trunk and it, it was a day out with Papa, and she had it all. I guess. Loved it. <laughs> That's awesome. Very yeah, cool. and it, it. I mean, it's just it's so good. Everyone should go and look them up and order. You know, I, I mean, say it's like one of those ones where, like, I've bought fancy cocoa before. Yeah. And like nine times out of ten, I'm disappointed, and I'm like, I could have just made this at home and like done it the way I wanted. And trying this. I was like, okay, I'm going to be the big skeptic. And then going in and trying it, I'm like, oh, this is the real deal. This shit is good. <laughs> so, That's such good news. Love hearing that. If you're a hot chocolate skeptic, try it. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And even in Texas, it, it's it's great. <laughs> yeah. Orange is a snow because you live in Montana. Extra perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's Someday our goal is to relocate somewhere where like year round it's more appropriate because where I live, it gets to be 120 degrees right every year in the summertime. And like, we never get below a hundred in the summertime. And it's oh, like, gosh. like when the first farmer's market we went to, it was over a hundred degrees by the time we left that day. And I'm like, we're selling hot cocoa. Milk. <laughs> and people bought it. I was shocked. I was shocked how many people still bought hot cocoa oh. mix. We just figured out like, okay, so here our, our, our uh, sales pitch will be, you can take this and close all of your windows and pretend that it's not 110 degrees outside. Pretend it's wintertime and drink some hot cocoa. <laughs> Turn your air conditioner as high as it will go and drink our hot cocoa. You can put the, I did the Yule log on Netflix where it's literally just a, a log fireplace burning for yes. Like I did that this Perfect. morning for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, just do that in the middle of the summer and turn your air conditioner on, close the blinds and suddenly you, you've got sweater weather. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so good though. So thank, thank you so you. much. We, you know, it's great. Thanks so much for sending us a sample. So delicious. <laughs> You're welcome. Glad you liked it so much. It's great news. Um, so Logan, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your music and um, and your guitars, inspirations, and your cocoa, of course. So <laughs> thanks for having me. It's great. And um, of course, it's great seeing you. So um, we'll have to keep in touch more now. <laughs> 
for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.